0: Welcome to Diverse, the podcast for the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog, all together at altogether.swe.org. Are you taking full advantage of your SWE membership? Your membership grants you access to SWE advanced learning for career and life. Your membership unlocks free and discounted on-demand content 24 hours a day from around the world. The SWE Advanced Learning also has live learning. With multiple tracks, Advance offers something for every career and every stage of your career. SWE's many offerings feature subject matter experts from a wide variety of thought leaders in STEM and leadership. When you want to skill up, turn to Advance first. Access learning at advancelearning.swe.org.
1: Hi, I'm Rachel Morford, President of the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to SWE's diverse podcast series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. I'm joined today by Katie Obadge, a senior specialist on the Technical Functional Excellence team in Indianapolis, Indiana. She works on implementing productivity projects for the technical section of Cummins Turbocharger's components business. She's been an active member of SWE since 2010, holding various leadership roles, including president of the Central Indiana section. Thanks for joining us today, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. So I am very excited to ask these questions of you, starting with what initially sparked or inspired your interest in STEM?
2: So I have a number of little stories for this one. I don't think it's like one huge moment that really hit me. It was kind of a constant battle in my mind over the course of quite a few years of what I liked to do, what I thought I was good at, what I was told by society of what I should be good at, that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you my two favorite stories of what kind of sparked my interest and kind of kept it there through today. So the first one is that my dad really likes to claim that he was the reason I went into engineering he was really young when he had me and my siblings. He was like 19, 20. So he was finishing up his engineering degree when I was a couple months old. So he likes to remind me that when he was studying for his differential equations class specifically, he would put me on his lap while he was working through the equations. And I obviously gained all that knowledge through osmosis or something and then became an engineer. So that's my first story. My second one is that a little bit, it's a little bit more defining, I would say. So when I was in fifth grade, I went on a field trip with my class to the Challenger Learning Center. It's in Northwest Indiana. I got to pretend I was an astronaut. And I remember running an experiment where we got to test like a with a robot arm whether materials were radioactive or not. And I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. So from that experience, I started to really believe that I could be an astronaut or an aerospace engineer, or do something STEM related because it was hands-on and really applicable. In later years, I had to do a project on what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I remember looking at like the take home pay for an aerospace engineer. And it was like the biggest number I've ever seen. It was like, wow, that's super cool. I can do what I like and I can get paid like a lot like what? I didn't know that was possible. So those are kind of my two biggest things. But I think the really interesting part about that second story is that the SWE research and the TechBridge research points to the fact that girls will typically choose to go into STEM or engineering at a very young age, so around fifth grade. And that's exactly what happened to me. So I like to think I'm part of one of those good stats and one of the reasons why I'm very interested in STEM outreach today. Those are great stories.
1: I think it also points to the fact that it sounds like you had some role models and mentors early in your life with the story about your father that likely did have some influence over you at least.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: So walk us through your academic and professional accomplishments. Where did you go to school and how did your studies influence the career path you're on?
2: Sure. Yeah. So I went to the University of Dayton in Ohio. Go Flyers. I studied mechanical engineering with a concentration in aerospace. I then interned at GE Aviation. I interned there three times after graduating. I started at Rolls-Royce in a rotational program and then I worked as a component designer. And then after that, I moved to Cummins Turbo Technologies, working in systems integration engineering for Onway applications. And now I'm still in CTT, but I work in the technical functional excellence team. So some of my accomplishments, I'll highlight one or two from each of those little sections, if you will. I'd say, so I would say the biggest thing that I learned in college is about community. That's Dayton's like biggest thing is learning about community. So using your skills and your, the things that you know to make other people's lives better. So I think I gained that. And then I also gained a lot of leadership experience in SWE while in college. So learning to kind of juggle those responsibilities with engineering and trying to get classes done, those were really big. But I'd say the biggest accomplishment that I did in college was something, again, SWE related. I hosted an event that was like a big combined event with Nesby and Shep and some of the other groups in, in college. We brought in Dr. Valerie Young. She's a really well-known speaker. She wrote a book on the imposter syndrome. That event brought in about 130 students and professionals, which was humongous for my medium-sized school and even smaller engineering school. We ended up winning a programming award from the society for that event. And I think just that entire experience taught me a lot about leadership. It also taught me a lot about making good teams and then networking as well. I'd say While I was interning, the biggest things that I learned and some of my greatest accomplishments on kind of a personal side was learning that whole like work hard, play hard thing. I didn't realize that that was a thing. I think my parents are really like low key. So growing up, they were always very chill. And then I realized that like I could have a really fulfilling life by not being (laughs) the same as my parents. So that's one of like those personal things that I learned from that. And I have lifelong friends from interning there, just meeting new people and learning about all the different opportunities that there were in the world. From Rolls-Royce, my biggest accomplishment, I think, was working on the lifing team. Autocorrect likes to correct that to lifting team. So that is not the same as it turns out. Um, But that team was... When I first started on that team, it was a really short-staffed group. So I felt like I had to really come up to speed really fast and learn about literally the most important parts on an engine that could make or break the engine that could crash an aircraft like every single thing that i did every calculation that i did was literally life or death for some people so that was really an eye-opening experience for me to learn all of that and then to actually publish some documents through the faa and just some of those safety documents i think was a huge accomplishment especially for how young i was at that time and then i'd say at Cummins, my greatest accomplishment technical on the technical side was validating the 2021 on highway turbo. I think that was really cool because it was so different than anything else I'd experienced to that point. The aerospace business is just so different where everything's kind of removed. You know that your part is on the engine spinning somewhere and you're on an aircraft, but like you can't really see it. You don't really get the opportunity to see it in the wild, if you will. But At Cummins, you get to see your stuff on engines in the field. Every time I drive on the highway, I'm like, oh, that's my turbo. That's super cool. So I think that was just a really cool thing to see and be able to kind of touch. And then I'd say the other thing that I've learned at Cummins so far is that they're really, really good at diversity and inclusion. It is literally the most diverse and the most inclusive team and just groups of people that I've ever met in my entire life. I think people there really, Really live the diversity and inclusion values, and I, I think that's something that I will always carry with me—is just how well, well, how well the company does it. So, I say those are my my biggest accomplishments and learnings over my career so far. Those are all great examples.
1: Thank you for sharing them with the listeners of the podcast. I know as many engineers likely can attest seeing your hard work in real life out on the field or when it's gone into production is definitely a, a pretty special moment for each of us. So I definitely can
2: connect with what you just described. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I understand my dad more who he used to do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about goals and it, we talked some about your SWE roles, and obviously, I imagine you have professional goals as well. Can you tell us a little bit about those goals and what changes you would like to see happen over the course of your time with Commons and with SWE?
2: Absolutely. So, I think on the professional side, my biggest goal would be at some point to be a leader in the organization. I really enjoy leadership, I really enjoy strategy. I really like adding to the diversity of groups so I I would like to in the future at some point soon get my MBA in the next couple of years and then use those skills to kind of move up the ladder and kind of go from there. And then on the society side, like I said or like you mentioned Rachel, I've been in SWE for about 11 years now. I've held various leadership positions and I'm starting to get involved more in the society level and the more that I get involved in the society level the more that I think I want to be part of that leadership experience. So my ultimate goal at some point is to work my, my way up to being the president of SWE. I think that would just be such a cool accomplishment and to be part of that legacy of amazing women would be just one of the greatest things I think I could do. So that's what I'd like to do. Well, since I have that role
1: myself right now, I will tell you it is a pretty cool job to have within the society. And part of the best thing that I get to do is meet members and leaders like yourself. So I will definitely encourage you to continue on that path.
2: Awesome. Thank you.
1: <laughs> we talked some about the diversity and inclusion that you see at Cummins and how how that's really something that you value about your experience there. How can others in the industry create a more diverse, inclusive environment within their companies and their teams?
2: Absolutely. So I think there are tons of ways to create more diverse and inclusive environments just within your small circle or at a bigger level at your company. But I'll give I put three and a half simple steps for anyone and everyone they can do. They could start today, regardless of your role in your company, if you're a leader or not. I think these are three easy to follow steps that everyone can do. So first off, I think it starts with you as an individual. So the first step is to be very honest with yourself. Do some self-reflection. Start to understand your biases. Everyone has biases. But the more that you understand about yourself and why you have those biases and your assumptions of people, why you assume those things about people, then you can start to see kind of what needs to change. But you really can't do that unless you start with step one, being more self-aware. Step two, I think is to start small. So after you're going through the process of being a little bit more self-aware, start listening, but really listening with the intention to understand. So like try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, but try to see their life from their perspective, not from your own. And specifically listen to others who are different than you, who have different experiences than you. That can kind of start to open up that diverse and inclusive environment for you. Step two and a half, an extension of step two, is to start really paying attention so once you start listening start trying to understand really what's going on around you and I think this one is kind of a key so pay attention in your meetings in your interactions with your friends just start paying attention to those who are different one of the most applicable things that I try to tell people who are looking for like one solid action towards inclusion literally every single person can do this today right after you listen to this podcast you can do this I challenge you in your next three meetings, simply just to count the amount of times the women in those meetings are getting cut off when they're speaking. Like that's it, just count it, just write it down, write it down every time. And I challenge you to do that and then tell me that you don't see a pattern because I guarantee that you're gonna see a pattern. (laughs) So once you start to see that, I think it's easier to start to understand kind of who is starting to cut those people off, why they're cutting them off, and to take a step back and start to understand even if there are women in your meetings or people who tend to get cut off, why are they getting cut off? So you could start to kind of analyze that process. And then once you start analyzing that process, you can go into step three, which is to start saying something. So I don't think anything will change if nobody speaks up. And one example of this is I challenged my male teammates that I work with, with step two and a half, And the most amazing part about that was not only did they start seeing that happening in their meetings, they started seeing women getting cut off in their meetings. They started seeing people just kind of steamrolling other people, but they started actually doing something about it. My male counterparts started doing something about it without me saying anything or without other women in the room. I thought that was the most amazing thing in the world. The group of them would meet after the meeting and talk about how they thought that wasn't fair and that they were going to do something different. When they saw it happen again. So I think that that's just been really incredible to see just people on my team who are kind of following those steps. They're starting to realize it. They're starting to listen more. They're starting to actually call it out when it happens. So um, I think those are three just really easy steps that anyone could do.
1: Definitely. Those are great recommendations. And I liked the call for action that you gave to each of our listeners as they come out of this particular podcast. I, I also think that it's a, good, it's a good exercise to always just think about who's being interrupted during a meeting. Absolutely. Can you tell us about some of the obstacles you faced as a woman in engineering and how you overcame them?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the biggest ones is, is dealing with unconscious bias. I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people say that on this podcast. But I think the obstacle itself is less of the unconscious bias bias itself and more of kind of what to do with it when you see it, especially when you're so exhausted from seeing it so much, just like having the emotional capacity to try and help someone else see that it's happening and to overcome it. I think it can be really exhausting. It can be really hard. It's also a really fine line of not being that like raging feminist, but then also like calmly getting your point across, without offending anyone, making sure that they you come across in a way that the person can actually hear you i think all of those are what makes unconscious bias and then just being a woman in engineering really tough so i'll, I'll give you a story of something that happened to me a couple of years ago this is the time when i i received the most blatantly obvious unconscious bias moment in my life and how it impacted me going forward so a couple of years ago i worked at a different company as a component designer at that point, I had about three years of real work experience and I interned before that. So altogether, I was I was very, very new to the team and really quite new to the industry in general. But I was on a supplier visit and we were at the supplier's location. We are talking through design changes and impact. I was there with my team, which was made up of me. We had one male project manager, my male component design engineer and counterpart. And then we had the supplier team, which is made up of about, I think it was two or three male manufacturing engineers, and then the male director of engineering for the company. So we were talking through some of the changes, the manufacturing engineers wanted to change one of the dimensions of a chamfer on something on the component I was designing because they didn't think that they could make the new dimension with what I was trying to change. So I asked the question about, about the manufacturability of that dimension. If I made it bigger or smaller, how would it change what they were doing? And the director of engineering steps in and he takes literally the next 10 minutes explaining what heat transfer was and how heating something up makes it expand. To me, an aerospace engineer, I have a focus in heat transfer (laughs) specifically. I was so dumbfounded by that interaction that I literally, I just didn't say anything. I didn't know what to say. I couldn't say anything. I was just so just so taken aback that he thought that i was so dumb or that he just assumed that i had i didn't know anything about engineering especially because i was the one who made that change it was it was so dumbfounding so i was so caught off guard i just didn't say anything in the moment and i think that's one of the biggest things that i regret so i tried to talk to my colleagues after after the the meeting and nobody saw it on my team no one understood What the problem was or that there was even a problem they all just were like oh yeah this is just what this guy does or this is just how life is people just try to explain stuff to you and that that was like no that's not right you know so once i got over the shock and started analyzing it more i started to make a commitment to myself that from then on i would call it out right away once i saw it once i once i realized that there was a problem Like, I don't care really how I say it because something needs to be said. And I figured that the the more that I did that, the better I would get at it. And I have. So I'm glad that I, I made that commitment. But the other part of that is also making it really obvious to the other people around me. So if I were to go back in that time, I would have gone to my colleagues and said, hey, did you see this happen? Why didn't you see this happen? Here's what happens when it happens next time. This is how you should look out for it, and we could work together better to make sure that this doesn't happen again. So I think the biggest thing that I learned from that is definitely when you see something, say something, bring it up, don't shy away, get people on your side to see it, and you could just make a better environment for everyone. What's a really great takeaway
1: from that experience, which I'm sorry you had to, to go through. I know a lot of people who've experienced similar situations, it's one of the most frustrating experiences that any of us can have. And going into going off of that, you know, it can obviously be difficult as a working woman, especially one in a leadership role, to find a healthy work-life balance. What do you do to unwind and disconnect from your professional responsibilities?
2: Sure. Yeah. So this is one of those concepts that I struggle with just a little bit. I think just because of the verbiage of balance. I think it's less of a balance at this point, especially with working from home. I see it more of like an ebb and flow, if you will. So less of like juggling the balls in the air, more just like this is what I need today. So for me, I think as long as the things that I'm doing every day push me towards making my life feel more fulfilling and feeling less burned out, then I think that I am better off. Please note that this is coming from someone who has no kids or huge, major responsibilities. So if you're listening to this, like, how does she do this? Take that with that grain of salt, please. I am not a parent. So that is a whole different level of responsibility. But I would say at this point in my life, I'm just one of those people who I just don't like to slow down. So I get more anxious from sitting still or doing like, I can't really do that like meditative self-care thing. It's not bad. It's just not for me really. So. I just try to be really honest with myself about the signs of burnout and what I need to do to make myself feel better from there. So in general, I feel the best when I feel like I've accomplished something. I feel like the more I do in a day, the better off I'm going to be for the future. So if that means that I need to work really hard and I need to work extra hours, then fine. But then I kind of find my peace in going out with friends or trying to do something completely different. I think one of the biggest things that I learned in college was how much your like, subconscious works for you in the background. So if I have a really big problem that I'm working through either in work or even in SWE, I can't figure it out. The best thing for me to do is to completely do something so different. So I either do some crafting activities or I go outdoors, I work out, I play a sport, I go out with friends. And then usually that thing that's kind of bothering me will hit me like a eureka moment. So I'd say in general, I focus less on balance and more on the things that I like to do every day to, to kind of get me towards my goals and feel less burned out. That makes sense. Absolutely,
1: Katie. Thank you for sharing that. I think the concept of balance is different for every person and it varies as we go through different phases of our lives and probably even as we go through different weeks of our, of our lives. So thanks for sharing what you do. If you could give any one piece of advice to current engineers who would like to move up the leadership ranks, what would it be? Sure.
2: I'm actually going to share two just because I can. The first one would be that I believe networking is key. I think that joining SWE is like probably the best thing that you could do, honest to God, not just saying this because it's a SWE podcast, but because it has literally helped me in every single step of my career so far. It's the best way to network. It will be with you every step of your career in life. So that's my number one. Number two, I would say get really good at conflict resolution. Part of making teams and working in a more diverse and inclusive world is that whole diverse part. And diversity by definition means that we're all different, which means we are inherently going to have conflict in what people believe, why they believe that, all that kind of stuff. So learning how to confront conflict in a really healthy way, and then having emotional intelligence to know when and how to confront that conflict, I think is probably the most important thing that current engineers could do, people who are going into leadership, really anyone in the, in the corporate or STEM world at
1: this point. I can certainly resonate with that concept, Katie. So thank you. And and really, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I think the advice and tips that you've shared on everything from how to deal with unconscious bias when we encounter it in the workplace or in our daily lives, to your your recommendations about how to take a step back from work and find that eureka moment in the times when you're not thinking about a problem directly and networking. Obviously, I definitely second the join SWE comments that you've made, but your observations about getting good at conflict resolution, I think are all fantastic for our listeners on this podcast. So thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm Rachel Morford. And for all of us at SWE, thanks for listening.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to leave us a review and share this episode with your social network. Thanks for listening.